first reading is taken from the book of Psalms, out of Psalm 16. From verse 1 to 11. And it can be found on page 549 of the Church Bibles. A Miktam of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, and can be found on page 1089 in the Church Bibles. That's John 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, 
Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. And let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, just pray that the words I say may be from you, and you'll open our hearts and minds to what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you lucky this morning? Uh, my wife's here, which means I can't do what I wanted to do at the start of this sermon, uh, which was actually sing. This passage just recalls to me a few opening lines of an Irish song that goes like this, and I'm not going to sing it. It says, uh, I've just dropped in to see you all. I can only stay a while. I'm happy to be back with you. I want to see you smile. And I'm not going to go on because it sort of goes off beam. But those opening lines actually go a lot to the heart of this passage. It's a really rich Bible passage. It's a wonderful Bible passage. It could be titled Resurrection, Empowerment, and Commissioning. Please keep your Bibles open. It's page 1089. It's the Gospel of John. And I'm reading from uh, starting at verse 19 again. Now, the incidents in these verses, it tells you, happened on the first resurrection day, and then one week later, when Thomas was with the disciples. They're recorded by John with a very clear, focused purpose. And John tells us what it is. If you look to the end of the chapter, verse 31, Helen read it so well, and John says this, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving, you may have life in his name. John points us here clearly to the truth of the physical resurrection of Christ. He wants us to grasp the truth of who exactly Jesus Christ is. You see, physical resurrection alongside the very fact that God loved us so much that he came into this world via Jesus Christ and that Christ did die on a cross to take our sins, all our wrongdoings and the wrongdoings of the world, past, present and future on him. The resurrection is, alongside those facts, the core of the Christian gospel, the good news. Paul, a follower of Christ, who started by hating Christians, but then had an encounter with the living Christ, wrote these words about no more than 25 years 
after the resurrection. To a modern day historian, to get a source document no later than about 25 years after the event is gold dust. Gold dust. Uh, this is real. He wrote it to believers in the Greek city of Corinth within 25 years of the resurrection. He says this, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's the importance of the resurrection. If it didn't happen, we're all wasting our time here today. In everything in this book, throw it out the window now. Because it's all a fairy story. But because the resurrection happened, because Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead, he showed it's real. It's real. We read in verse 19 of John that on that first evening of the resurrection, the disciples were behind locked doors. They were frightened of the Jews. Fear was around them. Then Jesus comes. The same Jesus they'd followed and loved, they'd seen arrested, betrayed, and knew he had been executed and had died. And some of them had been to the tomb that day. If you read the last chapter of Luke's Gospel, you know it just wasn't the remaining close followers of Jesus. It says others. Probably some of the women were there as well. But it still says, even yet, there was fear. But Jesus comes among them. He was the same Jesus, but he was different. How do we know that? Well, have you ever tried walking in to a room through a locked door or a wall? Jesus did. Jesus immediately says to them, peace be with you. He says it again in verse 21, twice to the same group. And again, one week later, when he appears again in another locked room with the disciples, and this time with Thomas, he says it again, peace be with you. Now, in that day and age, in that culture, that is like saying hello. But on these occasions, it has a real significance. Because again, most of those disciples will have remembered the Last Supper. They will have remembered Jesus' words to them. If you read John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this to them. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Listen, you will have trouble. Jesus tells it as it is. Not some nice, everything's going to be okay, 100% of the time. He tells them, you're going to have trouble. But then he tells them the good news. The real good news. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you know, he didn't just say it to that group in a locked room 2,000 odd years ago. 
He says it to us too, today. The disciples were overjoyed. Before them now stood the physical Jesus Christ in his resurrection body. He had proved everything that he had said he would do. He had overcome the world, including death and destruction. He showed them his hands inside. He had a new real body. He wasn't just a spirit. Again, if you go back to the last chapter of Luke's gospel, we're told how Jesus invited the disciples to touch him. He did the same here. He did it to Thomas a week later. And sorry for those of you who are vegetarians, he ate a piece of fish. That's in Luke's last chapter of Luke's gospel. Uh, that one week later, when he did appear to Thomas, who'd been absent the first time, uh, and Thomas had doubted what his brother disciples and sisters had told him. Uh, but, you know, Jesus didn't rebuke him. He loved him. Uh, he spoke to him to meet his need, and he, he wants to do the same with us. Uh, like Thomas, we probably all are, at various times, going to have doubts. I do. If you don't, hallelujah. But, but I do sometimes. But, you know, Jesus comes to me. Maybe not in his physical form the way he did to these disciples, but we have those encounters with the living Christ still. Maybe through his word, through prayer, through other Christians, through worship. And we can say again, as Thomas did, who went the whole way, probably giving the greatest affirm affirmation in the Gospels of who Jesus Christ was. And remember, this is exactly why John at his core is writing this, so that we can believe. And Thomas certainly did. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And he recognized exactly who Christ is. That's the highest affirmation recorded in the Gospels. Even more than Peter when he talked about you are the Messiah. This time Thomas is saying, wow, you're not just the Messiah. You're God. <laughs> we mightn't physically see there isn't Christ in this life. Though some are blessed and have dreams and visions. But we can encounter him. And he tells us in this passage, we, you and me, even more than the disciples are blessed. Because, of course, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. Now, if we go back now to that very first resurrection day, we see that Jesus, in those opening verses, doesn't just appear. The resurrection has consequences. And, and, and we can, in God's grace and mercy, choose to take and follow those consequences or not. Jesus tells them, uh, after he tells them, peace be with you, and showed them his hands inside, he says, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
I am sending you. And once again, it's not just to that group, it's to us. He is commissioning them to help build God's kingdom. Now, that's a wow. Because you know what he's doing? He's saying, I'm inviting you to be part of God's work. I'm inviting you. God doesn't need us, but in his grace and mercy, he wants us to be part of it. And I don't know why. I suspect that its core is that four-lettered word, love. Because he loves us, because he wants to make us like Christ, and to make us Christ-like, he wants us to be involved in the same work that Jesus was. And he knows it will build us up. It knows it will draw us into an ever closer relationship with him. And it will help us to become more like Christ. But he wants us to be part of it. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Jesus then breathed on the disciples. Yes, real physical breath. They would have felt it. They would have smelt it. I wonder what it's like to smell a resurrection breath. Maybe someday we will. No. But they really felt it. It was real. And again, this is profound because he is giving them the Holy Spirit. That's a mystery. I don't pretend to understand it all. Theologians will talk, oh, well, but then there's Pentecost, etc., etc. Of course there was, in a much more dramatic way. But this was real impartation of the Holy Spirit as well. And once again, he wants us to have that. You know, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God sent and Jesus, again, your homework, read chapters 14 and 15, where he tells them at the Last Supper, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he tells them exactly who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. But, but the Holy Spirit as well is a bit of a mystery. At least I think it is. But I know this, for every believer, there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I know this, if we want, he will fill us. And he will enable us to do God's work. That's his primary purpose, pointing people to Jesus Christ and enabling them to do the work of Jesus Christ. God has invited us to do that work, but make no mistake, unless the Holy Spirit is in us and is gifting us and is working through us, we have not a chance of doing it. That's part of the purpose of Christ's resurrection, that the Holy Spirit will come, fill us, if we let him, and do God's work. Jesus immediately goes on to say, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven, and if you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Again, theologians argue about this. Does that mean human beings can forgive sins? I don't think so. But what I do believe is Jesus was talking to them 
as the community of the first believers. And again, as Paul wrote later, and perhaps explained it a little bit better to the Christians in Corinth, he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the church's responsibility. The church, not the building, you and me, and the body of Christ worldwide, to tell people Christ died for them, to live it out in our lives, to love people, to point them to the saving power of Christ. And it's Christ who forgives sins, not us. But we can tell people and show people that Christ does that, and they are truly forgiven. Again in John, Jesus says, if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let no one tell you if you know Jesus Christ that you are bound by the sins of your forefathers or the sins of anybody else. You are a new creation and Jesus has set you free. Hallelujah. We are empowered for mission. Thank God for that. John, when he wrote this, would have known the words in Genesis, right at the beginning, when it says, God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. That's part of Christ breathing the Holy Spirit in us. He would have known the words of the prophet Ezekiel, written hundreds of years before. Then, this is Ezekiel writing, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breathe from the four winds and breathe into the slain that they may live that's what the holy spirit does it awakens life from the dead when he comes the church collectively and individually is recreated and resurrected to work for god's kingdom this frightened group of disciples, and isn't it interesting, even a week after Jesus had been with them, the doors were still locked. The Bible does tell it as it is. You know, fear sometimes does not disappear instantly. But the disciples were learning and did learn to work through that fear because Jesus was alive. The disciples, to go back, didn't know the peace of God, but they also knew there was trouble. Every disciple, we believe, Stanfast John, who died in exile, but all the others were executed because they told people about Jesus and the resurrection. But, do you know, they were prepared to risk that because they had known Jesus and did know his peace and knew he had overcome the world and they were helping to build his kingdom and that's what we are asked to do whatever the setbacks
whatever troubles we face. And let's not trivialize those. All of us will know, if we don't already know, that we will face troubles in our own lives or in the lives of our loved ones. It's going to happen. But Jesus promises us his peace. And we can move forward in the knowledge and joy that Jesus is alive. Through the Holy Spirit, he is here now with us. And whatever happens, we can say, he is our Lord and our God. He has overcome the world and he allows us to overcome the world and to win the final victory. Amen.